Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 7, and I'll read through, though we're going to take two weeks here in this, I'm obviously showing favoritism to the Church of Philadelphia. No, that's not why, but to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, these things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and to worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold... I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go no more out. I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He that hath an ear speaking to us today, let him hear what the Spirit presently Today is saying to the church as plural, so it's broader than Philadelphia here as we look at this. Um, there are four beholds here. You want to note those when you read this on your own. Four times Jesus, who's dictating, says to us, behold. Here are things I want you to behold. There are four of those. It's important. He is speaking to the youngest of these seven churches. It was founded 150 years before Christ, which makes it the youngest of them all. And it was founded by Italus, the second Philadelphus, who was king of Pergamum. And he was known for his love and devotion to his brother, Amenes, and becomes known then as the city of brotherly Love, not the city of brotherly shove, like where we live. The city of brotherly love. Um, in this particular city, Dionysius, Bacchus amongst the Romans, the god of wine, was the primary deity. The soil was rich, it was volcanic, the vineyards were 
remarkable there, known throughout the Roman Empire. There were other deities, but that was the primary deity there. There was a young church there. Philadelphia was considered the open door to Asia because it was considered a missionary city before Christians, a missionary in the sense of spreading Greek culture and the Greek language to Asia. They they considered themselves to have an open door. Um, If you were notable in that city and you did something famous in remembrance, they would put a pillar with your name on it in the temple of Dionysius. It didn't hold, it wasn't structural, it didn't hold up the ceiling, but it stood there with your name on it. 17 AD, the city is destroyed by an earthquake along with Sardis and uh, some of the other cities that suffered damage. Sardis completely destroyed, Philadelphia basically destroyed, and then it was Rebuilt, and when it was rebuilt, because Caesar then is in power, they call it Neo Caesarea. They give it a new name. Uh, but within a few years, because the people that lived there rejected that and they loved Philadelphia, it was called Philadelphia again. It is a uh, city in Turkey today. The, the Muslim, the Arabic name is City of God. There's about 20 to 30,000 people there, and there are still five churches there. Um, I don't know how many believers there are in those five churches. But I'm struck with this here as it tells us this is the church of Philadelphia. It is a place name here. It's a noun. But it is given that name because of these two royal brothers who loved one another and were devoted to one another. They were both royal blood, as we are. And the idea of that brotherly love is put before us in the New Testament. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, Be kindly affectionate one to another with Brotherly love, Philadelphia, in honor, preferring one another. Be kindly affectionate to one another with Philadelphia. Showing kindness to one another tells us in First Thessalonians chapter 4, It says, but as touching brotherly love, Philadelphia, you need not that I read unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. That's a tall order. Are we taught of God to love one another here? Two of us, three of us. That's good. It's it's at least a start. Uh, Hebrews 13 says, let brotherly love, Philadelphia, continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers and so forth. Let Philadelphia, brotherly love, continue. First, Peter tells it to us this way. Verse 
It says, seeing that you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned Philadelphia, love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart and do that fervently. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, we've been born again, we've obeyed the truth, and that is that we are all sinners. The person next to you is not more undeserving or deserving of God's grace than you are. We are all on equal ground at the foot of the cross, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned Philadelphia, unhypocritical love of the brethren. And then Peter talks about it again in his second epistle, where he says, unto He's telling us how to build our faith. He says, add unto godliness, brotherly kindness, Philadelphia, and to brotherly kindness, Philadelphia, charity. He says, clearly, it is a part of our character becoming the way it's supposed to be. Now, we live in the city of Philadelphia, many of us, the church right here where your feet are this morning, You're in the city of Philadelphia. I don't know what the city was like in that day in regards to relationships. It was named after a love between brothers. But he's writing to the church. And he's speaking, he's saying to the church today. And we look at the division racially, economically, culturally, politically. Look at the division that we're surrounded with. And Jesus is saying the church in the middle of this should be noted for something else. He says, see that you love one another as I have loved you. By the love you have one for another, all men will know you're my disciples. It's challenging us. We worship together here. Amen? Understand. You're not going to feel this, but understand. Our African-American, Jamaican, Nigerian, our brothers and sisters here, have to cross some lines when they come to be here. Because they feel something different when they're watching what's going on in the news today. And any of them that are older are thinking, I thought this was behind us. I thought with Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Movement, this was over. And they have to step across a line to come here. And then hear that we're supposed to love one another. Understand that. You may not feel the way they feel, but you understand what Christ asks. 
are Latino and Hispanic folks that come here. Live in light of a constant verbiage regards to illegal aliens and people crossing the border in the South. And you may not feel what they feel, but they think about that. And it's something that they carry, and they cross lines to be here. We have Russian and Ukrainian Christians here, and their nations are at war, and there's blood being shed. You don't feel the way they feel. You know it in your head, but they cross lines to come. Russians sitting with Ukrainians. Ukrainians sitting with Russians, embracing one another. There are Asian brothers and sisters that come here. When this coronavirus began on the West Coast, the highest purchasing of weapons by Asians that the nation has seen because they thought for sure this is going to come on us. People look at us when they hear Chinese flu or any of this stuff. And they come here. They're part of our family. And they feel some things we don't feel. But they cross those lines to come here. We have Indians here from East India. And you talk with them, and those are very integrated communities. They're very interned. And some of them get persecuted because they leave and they come here. They feel differently about things than we do. We know what's right, but they have to cross some lines to be here. I didn't speak English till I was five. 1955, they let you out to play when you were five. <laughs> didn't, didn't worry about where you were. I spoke German until then because my parents, my grandparents in the house, and I went out and couldn't talk to anybody. It was a bummer. It changed my life. I said, this is not going to happen. My mom, when she was a girl here, because she spoke German, was spit on. Stones were thrown at her. She was called a Nazi. We're born here. Got across lines to love people. We have people that sit here among us. They're prodigals. They're backslidden. They've been away. And I hear from some of them, and they think, I'm just so embarrassed. People are going to look down their nose at me if I come. They've got to cross lines to come. So that it, when I see them, I can say, welcome home. Welcome home. What we experience here week in and week out is so different from the world that we live in. And one day, chapter 5, around his throne, we'll be worshiping people from every nation, every kindred, every race, every tongue, because that is the heart of Almighty God. 
And if we're going to hear the message to the church of Philadelphia, which is not the same as the city of Philadelphia, we're to have a distinct expression of that that this divided world knows nothing of. Amen? Amen. And when people do come here and see us, they're to know we're his disciples because of the way we embrace one another. We're sensitive to one another. I encourage you, you don't know the way everybody here feels, but you know what's true and you know what's right and you know through the power of the Holy Spirit we just read that you can love one another the way Christ loved us. To this letter, we look. This church of Philadelphia, I don't know about you guys, the news wears me out. You know, it's like I was a news junkie, but my drug is burning me out now, you know. I need rehab or something. I should go Monday night. The angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith. These things saith. God has something, and, and it's, is, he is saying, there's a present tense. These things our Savior and our Lord is saying to us today. These things saith, and then he gives four qualities of his character. These things saith, number one, he that is holy. Number two, he that is true. Number three, he that hath the key of David. Number four, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. We have this interesting picture. Look. There, there are, if when we look at the church historically, if Sardis is a picture of the Reformation, there are two streams that flow from Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea, the church of the open door and the church of the closed door. The church where there's life and there's a little strength, there's hanging on to Christ, holding on and there's the church that's satisfied with traditionalism, denominationalism, no need to experience the new birth to be part of the club. Uh, there's the church of the open door and the church of the closed door. Here, he begins, there's no reproof for this church. There's no condemnation. He only commends them when he speaks to them. And it's distinct because he doesn't use part of the description of himself in the first chapter. As we get to the other churches, he always takes one of the characteristics of his description in the first chapter and uses that to appeal to the church relative to their problems. Here he does something different. He speaks to this church, this is what I'm saying. Hear this from the one, number one, who's holy. A lot of the church has forgotten about that. You know, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not the culturally relevant spirit, not the cool spirit, the Holy Spirit. Holy, certainly, in regards to him and his life, there was no fault that, you know, 
Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Certainly that way, but holy also in that he's completely distinct. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of the Father. He's distinct from all others. No other name given among men whereby we must be saved in the name of Jesus. He's holy. He's separate. Right? There's only two things that exist. God and everything that ain't God. Your teenagers, they think they are, but they're not. There's God and there's that which is not God. Two things that exist, creator and creation. That's all. That makes him distinct. It makes him holy. It makes him completely separate. These things saith, number one, he that is holy. He's different from the hatred in this world, different from the division, different from the, you know, the sex trafficking, different from the morality of this world, different from the worship of Bacchus and and the drunkenness, and different from all of that. He's holy. And then it says, from him that is true, look, and that word, the better sense of it is from the one who is genuine. Isn't it nice to run across something like that these days? Nice to be a genuine human being. It's nice to see a genuine broadcast that you can believe when you see the news. It's it's nice. Would be nice to hear something genuine about COVID, wouldn't it? You know, this one. He's the one who is genuine. He's the real deal. He is separate. He is genuine, and you can trust him. From he who has the key. Of David, obviously, Gabriel said to Mary, he's going to sit on the throne of his father David forever. He is of the lineage of David. And he's talking to us about a passage in Isaiah, I'll read, you don't have to turn there, where the treasurer was named Shibna in that day, and he was crooked. He was he was a criminal. He was ripping off. Imagine someone ripping off the government's finances. It happened thousands of years ago. <clears throat> Thus saith the Lord God, Isaiah 22 of hosts, Go get thee unto the treasurer, even to Shebna, which is over the house. And then the Lord rebukes him, and he replaces Shebna with Eliakim, who's another man and a better man. It shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy breastplate, and I will commit thy government into his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will lie, lie upon his shoulder. He shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. And here, in Revelation, the church of Philadelphia, the last two ways he identifies himself, he is holy, he is true, he that hath the key of David. In other words, what he, Shebna was the treasurer the key was taken, given to Eliakim. The key was to the treasuries of the kingdom. 
What Jesus is saying here is, I'm the one, I have the treasures of the kingdom. I have the key of David. It's in my hand. The true treasures of the true kingdom. David was a foreshadow of the kingdom. And he said, I'm the one that has the keys. Look, whatever we long for, whatever we lust after, whatever we strive after, we have to remember there's one who has the keys to the deepest longings in our hearts that nothing in this world will ever satisfy. He has the key to the treasures of the kingdom. And he now, not Eliakim, he now opens and no man shuts. Isn't that nice in, in Philadelphia to hear that? He's the one who opens a door, nobody shuts it. Not the ACLU, you know, not the, I'm trying, I want to be respectful, but he's opened the door, no man shuts it. And then he shuts and no man opens. This is his program, his prerogative. He is holy, he is genuine, he has the keys to this whole thing, and he gives an open door where he sees fit. And no one can shut that door when he opens it. He closes, and when he closes, no man can open it. Listen, we have in Acts, chapter 14, we read, And when they were come, and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith unto the Gentiles. The Lord opened that. That would seem impossible to the Jews. Paul is saying, the Lord, there was a door open. This is the one that has the keys. He opened a door, he says, to the Gentiles. First Corinthians. We read this. It says, Paul is speaking, he says, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. This is Paul. If, if he needed prayer for an open door, we need prayer for an open door, right? And he says, it's a great thing, open door. Yeah, that's what we want. And many adversaries. He said, that's the way it comes. There's never spiritual progress without warfare. Paul said God had given him an open door to the Gentiles. Again, it tells us this in 2 Corinthians. Um, be patient with me. I'm looking at my computer notes. 2 Corinthians. Uh, where am I at here? 2 Corinthians. Chapter 2, verse 12 says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, an open door was opened to me of the Lord. If, again, if he needed an open door to preach the gospel, some, you know, people come all the time, I'm trying to, my, my son, my daughter, my husband, my wife, my father, they're unsaved. How do you just pray for an open door? Pray for an open door. Paul needed an open door to preach the gospel. We need an open door to preach the gospel. 
because it says Satan had blinded the minds of those who don't believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. This is supernatural. We can bring Christ to men. Only God brings men to Christ. Again, it says in Colossians, it says, with all that we should be praying also, Paul says, pray for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. Pray that I would open door to speak the, to, for my prison ministry. Pray there's an open door for me to speak the mystery of Christ in my chains. Interesting guy, you know. He, he, you know, people saw him as Rome's prisoner. Paul saw Rome as his prisoner. I get these guards chained to me. They can't get away. I can preach the gospel for four hours straight to every shift that comes in. You know, and when he says to the Philippians, you know, these people came to faith, believed, and he said, and many of Caesar's household have come to the faith. They couldn't get away from him. You know, open door. Jesus says here, I have set before thee an open door. Franklin Graham, Presence, Adopt a Family, the 20-some churches that have spun off here from here, the ministries with Mark Abram and Buddy Osborne and the, the study in South Philly and the different churches and the things that are going on, the missionary work that we're involved in, you know, the Harvest Crusades that we've had in Philadelphia, the concerts that we'll have here, the Sunday school, the children's ministry. We see people saved constantly. He's given us an open door. Sovereign. Sovereign. And nobody can shut it. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? He's given us an open door. As we see through the New Testament, we're experiencing that here in these last days. An open door. And I'm so thankful that no man can shut it. He says... I know thy works. Now, the works haven't opened the door, by the way. The doors are not open by our strength. Paul needed prayer for the open door. The doors are open through him. He's holy. He's genuine. He has the keys, so nobody can open the door but him. He says, I know divinely thy works. Behold, think about this. I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. Now, I've set before you an open door. Set before you is a perfect tense. It has been open. It remains open. Some translations say, I have given to you an open door. And it's I have given and, and, it, and I am still giving the idea. He has given us an open door and that door remains open. It's, it's the perfect tense. It is still open, <coughs> he, he says. And he says... For, if you look in verse 8 there, for, that's causative because here's the reason he's given an open door to this church. And I believe the reason he's given an open door to our fellowship and many fellowships across the country. For, number one, thou hast a little strength. That's not a condemnation. You actually have a little strength is what he's saying. Hard to believe these days. There's actually some life there. You have a little strength, he says, number one. 
You have kept my word. Are we going to do that? I've kept, you've kept my word. We've had the privilege all of these years, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, kids studies, adult studies, junior high studies, senior high studies, young adult studies, over 50 studies, to, to, to be in the process of this, single studies, to, to open the scripture. You have kept my word. We've held on to it. We've not negotiated away. We've not compromised it. Look, look, Barna, this spring... It did a survey and bar, amongst quote-unquote born-again evangelicals. And Barna said in the United States right now, out of church-going evangelicals, 52% say they do not believe in absolute truth. They do not believe the scripture is absolute truth. 52% of evangelicals that attend church regularly in the United States do not believe that the Word of God is the Word of God, without question, with power, that it's effectual, that it gives life, that it tells the truth, that it is immovable, that it will stand forever. They don't believe it. 52%. And of course, if you, you can go to all, you just, when you're home, you, you Google. You're Google people, I'm not, but Google, and or whatever you do. And, uh, you know, j- just look at statistics amongst denominations of what they believe about the virgin birth, what they believe about the return of Christ, what they believe about sin and the need for repentance. The Lord looks at this church and says, you've kept my word. You've held on to it. Here we are 2,000 years later, and he he, he would commend us for that because it's been twisted, it's been maligned, uh, you know, it's 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 been compromised in so many ways like the culture needs to dictate what the scripture really means because if it doesn't then it's not relative to people that are alive now that's insane this is the one who's holy and he's genuine he opens no man shuts shuts you know he's the one with the key to all that and it's his word it's his word You actually have a little strength. You've kept my word. And then he says, you have not denied my name. Onama there for name. And the idea is the name brings forth everything that he is. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, Gabriel said to Mary. Jesus, God is salvation. In the very name of Christ, we know that sin is dealt with. We know that our future is secure. He's the one who's promised to do that. And it is his name that will get glory. This church has a little strength. It's kept his word. It's not denied his name. Because of that, he used the key and provided the open door. Those activities did not provide it, but he did because he looked favorably upon this church. Now it says this. It says, Behold, think about there's another behold here. I will make, literally, I will cause them. Now look, of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. 
Behold, another behold, I will make, again, I will cause them to come. Three things. I will cause them to come, to worship, and to know. I will cause them to come and to worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Now look, he's going to cause this to take place. He talks about the synagogue of Satan here. He, he's, Jesus is not anti-Semitic. That's not what this is about. Jesus is Jewish. Our God is Jewish. John was Jewish. Paul was Jewish. You know, he's not anti-Semitic. He's saying the synagogue of Satan relative to your adversaries in this community. Synagogue is a meeting place. The synagogue of Satan is the fact that these Philadelphians who were doing their best to love one another, who were trusting a holy and a genuine God, believing that he opened a door for them and that they needed to continue in the strength that he would give them to keep his word and not deny his name. Even with that open door, there was adversity. There was persecution. There were people against what they were doing. And he calls them the meeting place the origin, that originates the meeting place of Satan. Look, synagogue of Satan, it's all around us. Do you know what they're doing to our kids in elementary schools these days? Do you know what they're teaching them? Do you trust the media, Google, Facebook, Twitter? Power brokers. They have a different agenda. They control our minds. They tell us what's moral and what's not moral. They tell us what's God and what's not God. The whole culture is like that. Preaching hatred and division and anger and frustration. He says here, look, those adversaries... And, and, you know, I've prayed since this whole thing started. I'm thinking, Lord, get a hold of anarchists and Marxists and save them. Because they're already an army. Light them up, Lord, and let them loose for the kingdom. Lord, do that work. Open that door. Let it happen. Because he says here, I will cause them to come and to worship. Now, he's not going to cause them to come and worship the believers from the Church of Philadelphia. The angel says through Revelation, don't fall down in front of my feet. Worship God. Worship him alone. He's going to cause, he says, of the adversaries and the persecutors, he's going to cause some of them to come and to be worshipers before these believers, he says, and to know that I have loved thee. Isn't that a wonderful picture? We hope that our adversaries and those who hate us and those, you know, come out of all that insanity and division and come and we would see them fall down and worship. Not worship us, but worship here before, right in our presence before us. And in doing that, they would know, I thought that church was nuts. Now I know the truth. God loves these people. And, and there ain't no love out there. It's a, it's, a, it's a premium. It's something that's rare. It's something the world needs. Jesus said, I'm going to do that. It's part of the open door. Nobody can shut it. I'm going to do it. And in verse 10, where we'll have to pick up next week, 
It says, because you have kept the word of my patience, I will keep you, too, from the hour that's coming to try all those. Ah, that's a great. You know, if the rapture doesn't happen this week, we'll study it next week. (laughs) But there's reciprocal verbs there. Because you have kept, I also will keep. The, The grammar, you can't separate them. We've kept, so he will keep. He said, you've kept the word of my patience. Listen, it's the word of his endurance. You've kept the word of what he endured. The cross of Jesus Christ has remained central. 2,000 years later, we're still breaking the bread and drinking the cup. It is still the center of the center of the center. It's still the epicenter. What Christ accomplished on the cross, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his return, we have kept the word of what he endured. His patience, hupomone, to to endure under pressure. We, you and I, you know, in this open door that we have, and I'm, I'm so thankful for that. Look, he's given us an open door. What you and I need to be doing is loving one another. Loving one another. Across all of the lines, we should love one another. We should realize that the blessing that we have is from a holy and genuine God who alone has the keys in human history and in this city and at this day to open doors that nobody then can shut. He appreciates the fact that we have a little strength, that we have kept his word, and that we have not denied his name. Because of that, he's going to cause our adversaries to come. And to worship, to to come and to worship right in our presence before us. And to know that he's loved us. That they've joined the proper family. And because we have kept the word of his patience, what he's endured, we've, we've not let go. He's going to say, hold fast that which you have. Have we held on to that? I don't know about you guys. Every day when I wake up and look in the mirror, I need the gospel of Jesus Christ. I sin just waking up, right? Ah, another day. Ah, you know, my flesh is waiting next to the bed to jump on me as soon as my eyes open. But what I've kept is the word of what he's endured on my behalf. And in my failure, in my selfishness, in my humanity, I flee to him. I am never hesitant to run to my Jesus, to my Savior. With all of my weakness and all of my imperfection, I flee to him. Well, as a young Christian, I was like, rut row, you know, uh, this is, I'm in trouble, uh, you know, you're trying to earn your, no, no, no. It's all in him. He's holy. He's genuine. He's the one. And because we've kept that, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, He's also going to keep us from what's coming on this world. That's a whole study in itself. That's next week. Okay? So read ahead. Next week I'll say, who read ahead? Probably more of you are going to raise your hand because you want to know about the rapture. Right? Okay. So we'll see a greater percentage. Church this week, Church of the Open Door, please, guys, love one another. It's heartbreaking for me to have anyone come to me and show me on Twitter or Facebook. Here's people in our church ragging on each other because of political party, because of color, because of... 
it's heartbreaking. I'm thinking, Lord, I've been teaching your word for 40 years. Love one another. Love one another, please. Love one another. Understand we've all crossed lines to be here, to be part of this family. And there ain't nothing like this anywhere else. Nowhere else. And when the rapture happens, there ain't going to be nothing like this anywhere. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Look and do some homework. Look through these beginning verses and see what you need to change in your life. Lord, what would you say to me in, in regards to these things? Father, I know you've overheard. We look to you. And Lord, we want to be the church of brotherly love. We want, to, we want to do that, Lord. We want that to be a light that shines in a dark world, Lord. We want to look at these different parts, integral and in, in working together, and understand, Lord, how you want us as your sons and your daughters to cling to you, Lord, and to those things that never change. We thank you for the exhortation, Lord Jesus. We look to you and we pray. We hear your voice today, Lord, through your word. Pray in your name. Amen.